Uppercut Podcast. We're back with another episode. We're very excited to not only go over potentially the biggest card of the year, but we also have a very special guest with us on the night to dissect the card. He's a true diehard in the MMA community, an avid card collector, and a UFC gambling maestro of sorts. Tonight we have on Nick, also known as the MMA Picker on Instagram. Nick, thanks so much for taking time out of your night to come join us. And uh, feel free to tell the listeners a little bit about your Instagram page and what got you into the sport. Oh, man, you guys are way too kind. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for inviting me to chat fights with you boys on the Uppercut podcast, especially for such a massive card in UFC 285. Um, I know you guys have interviewed a ton of fighters here before, so I am honored as a complete average Joe <laughs> in the UFC community to be hanging out with you guys tonight. So thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Nick, but better known as MMA.picker in the MMA handicapping community. So if you enjoy betting and gambling on MMA fights like I do, feel free to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MMA.picker where I post free plays and fight breakdowns for every single fight card. Um, I've been doing this for a little over four years now. All of my bets and plays are third-party tracked on betmma.tips, so there's no smoke and mirrors. <laughs> I do use bankroll management method um, when making my bets, and I do provide unit suggestions as well. And last but not least, I also do free weekly UFC sports card giveaways. So if you're into that kind of stuff, I got you. Um, so yeah, that's my spiel. I enjoy the hell out of it. Um, enough about me, man. Let's get into some fights on this massive UFC 285 card. I want to have yeah. you boys have this one. Yep, yeah. yeah. And one more thing I wanted to note about you. We'll link your Instagram in the bio and please give him a follow because you are an overwhelming winner. But one thing I really, really admire about your page is you do not take down losses either. Like yeah. every other handicapper seems like they take down a loss as soon as it happens. You leave yours up. You're very open with all your I guess you'd call them the community, the people will follow you, and uh, feel free to give Nick a follow following the episode. Also, real quick, join the Verdict League, um, everyone. I know we've been talking about this every single episode, but please join the Verdict League. It's a free app you can download on your phone, um, and it's free to join. And if we get over 10 people, we're all going to throw in to make a pot, and the winner of the season gets the pot. Um, yeah, so join the Verdict League. The link to that, as well as MMA Pickers' information and socials will be in our description of this episode so stay just look in there yes and this is probably the best card it'll probably end up being the best card of 2023 to join verdict this is the best time if it's your first time using it to join verdict join up we're gonna have a good pot going yeah so the first fight we're gonna dive into max i know you're really excited for this one so we have cameron Samen taking on Mana martinez i mean in my opinion what more could you want out of an early prelim fight two super young guys they brawl till the fucking lights go out they're really going to show why they deserve to stay on the UFC roster. Cameron Seaman comes in at 7-0. Mana Martinez comes in at 10-3. and I mean, I just think this is a perfect fight for this huge card for early prelim. Max, give us a little more of an analytical breakdown of this fight and who your pick is. All right, so let's start with uh, the fight as a whole, okay? This is going to be a fast-paced barn burner of a fight. Um, I don't see it going the distance. Both of those guys have really high outputs in both of their – and just their fighting career. Um, Cameron Samen to me has a little bit more strength than Mono Martinez, but either way, these guys are going to be completely just throwing hands. Um, Cameron Samen as a prospect is one of my favorite prospects coming up right now. He just had a fight against Steven Kozlo. I know you guys probably remember me like gushing over him after that fight. 
Um, that fight was so impressive because coming into it, Salmon was this prospect that, you know, you've heard about, like people had heard about, we saw him on the Dana White contender series, get that quick win. And everyone kind of knew that he had this like power in, in his striking and in his hands. But the question was his jujitsu and his wrestling. So he takes on Steven Kozlow, who's a jujitsu expert. Um, I could not find what belt he is. I tried. I looked everywhere. I could not figure it out. But I know he's a jujitsu expert. And this fight goes uh, just how do you expect? They get into there and Steven Kozlow takes him down immediately. And I thought like, all right, this is going to be a tough day for Simon here. He's going to get exposed on his ground. The complete opposite happens. He reverses positions. He starts shooting these submission attempts all over the place. Um, and then he even takes down Kozlo his on by himself. Obviously, in round two, um, he does that pretty horrific knee to the head, uh, illegal strike. He gets a point deducted. And Kozlo probably should have done the, um, you know, he probably should have, you know, gotten out of that fight and said that he was too hurt to continue. He went the Anthony Smith way and fought through it and lost. Um, I do think that th it doesn't take away from Simon's performance there. Um, Simon obviously ended up after that ended up, um, just kind of ground and pounding him and then letting him up again, and then just completely piecing him up until it was a TKO. Simon answered all the questions that everyone had. He showed off how great his jujitsu was. And if anything, it showed that he's, he is, um, a monster on both the ground and the stand and bang, uh, Mana Martinez, on the other hand, I mean, he's coached by Jane. He was coached by James Krause. So I'm thinking he's at a new gym, but I could not find it. You guys probably remember him from James Krause, like screaming at him in the corner. That part went viral a little bit. Oh, that was Mana Martinez. That was Mana Martinez. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, Martinez is a really good striker as well. He's very fast, a lot of output. The problem that I see is that Cameron Salmon is just a whole lot bigger in terms of just like thickness. Mana's kind of like skinny and lanky. Simon's just like thicker, and he looks a lot stronger. Um. And he has the knockout power that I don't know if Martinez necessarily has. So I'm taking Simon here, and I would not be surprised if it did not go the distance. But I think if the striking cancels it out, Simon just brings this jujitsu to the table that I don't know if Martinez has. So I'm taking Simon here by, like, no matter any anything could happen. I could see it being submission, knockout, or a decision. Well, you and uh, Dreykus Duplessis sold me because did you hear he referred to him yes. and Cameron Simon as the only true Africans in the UFC? Pretty weird. They breathe Pretty and live African <laughs> blood. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that was very we won't odd. Touch uh, that one. We won't you're touch lucky Mike Perry's out at UFC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff and Nick, do you guys have any uh, any glaring things about this fight? Yeah, I mean, like Max said, it's. Simon's looking like a fucking dog. Like, he can't look much better in his last fights. He's been answering every question. But there's one more, more, one more little question he has left, and it's his defense on the feet. I feel like he can kind of, he kind, he kind of leaves a little, a little to be desired. He kind of gets caught a little bit. And Mono Martinez is definitely going to bring it to him. Oh, he will. Also, not to mention, or I am going to mention it. Um, it's Mana Martinez's last fight on his contract. So it could be one of those things where he throws everything he can at Simon. So um, just putting that out there. Nick, did you have a thought on this one? That's a good point to make, Max. I did not know that. Um, I mean, honestly, I think you did a beautiful job breaking down this fight. There's not a whole lot that I can add here. I, I think 
kind of like you said, Samen versus Martinez is probably going to be, in my opinion, I thought it was going to be 15 minutes of back and forth striking. Yeah. That um, I was thinking probably results in the decision or possibly a third round win for one of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Cameron Simon, you know, Dana White consent, Contender Series alumni, just 22 years old, I, you know, like you said, currently undefeated, super durable. And yeah, yeah that third round TKO over Stephen Coslo. Um, I think back in December, that was impressive, man. He he impressed me with the way that he got taken down, but didn't stay on his back. You know, he reversed the positions. He threw up some dangerous submissions throughout that fight, and he looked good. I mean, I think he's definitely a striker. He prefers the stand-up game, which I think Martinez will happily oblige by. Um, and like you said, yeah, I feel like Simon at around minus 300 could be a decent two-leg parlay piece, but mm-hmm. I honestly like the over. 2.5 prop which i think is about even money here that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at all right yes simon has rubbed me off very much as like a more refined trevor peak like a more refined african trevor peak yeah much more much much more <laughs> yeah much more refined i think the strength in the hands are kind of the same but yeah he's definitely a lot more um smart but i do see what you're saying they're just willing to put it all out there right so the second fight we're going to dive into is Going to be Ian Gary taking on Song Kanan. Though Ian Gary couldn't be more different personality-wise than McGregor. He is, I would say at this point, regarded as the best current UFC fighter out of Ireland. Maybe you could debate it since McGregor's technically back on the roster, but I would say it's Ian Gary. And I'm just going to call a spade a spade with this matchup. I think this is just one of those typical matchups you see where the rising prospect gets a guy who's not in the best part of his career, who's aging a little bit. And he just doesn't look to be fighting well at the moment. I think this is, they're just feeding Ian Gary what looks to be another stepping stone in his career. And I think he's going to live up to the test. Nick, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, I actually had the chance to watch Ian Gary fight live last year oh, at shit. UFC 276. Yeah, when oh, that's he, fucking uh, awesome. Dude, it was great, dude. 276 it was actually the UFC fight week, which is – if you guys haven't had a chance to attend a UFC fight week, I highly recommend it, man. So many fighters out there. Such a great time. Yeah. Oh, yes. But, 276 I mean, was International Fight Week, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ian Gary, I really do think the hype is real for this guy. I mean, he's a young 25-year-old kid nicknamed the future, and for good reason, right? He's undefeated at 10-0, and 0, um, five finishes. I think this is just his fourth fight in the UFC. And I'll be honest, I think he gets a finish here. Um, he's going to have both a height and reach advantage over Kanan Song, who's coming off a brutal first-round KO loss from Max Griffin, who's just a dog, so you really can't discredit him much for that. But I think this fight plays out mostly on the feet, and if that is the case, I think it will be a long day at the office for Song. Yeah. Um, although he does actually have seven submission wins in his career, uh, I noticed they all came early. I mean, we're talking about seven years ago, and I just don't see him shooting much for a takedown, even though that might be his best path to victory. Um, I noticed the odds on Gary are a little wild in the minus 700 range, which makes it difficult to play him, but maybe an in the distance prop or possible three leg parlay with a couple other heavy favorites. Uh, like Bo Nickel or Shavkat might be the best way to go here to get the best bang for your buck. I like that. I like the three-way parlay uh, play. I have one that I 
I put like, I think I put a half unit on, um, and it was just Shavkat, uh, Bo Nickel and, um, Ian Gary, as you said. So that exact part wow. of the action, I've already, I've already placed, I forget what the odds were, but nothing too crazy. Yeah, I think Ian Gary's uh, volume is going to get Song a lot of trouble, too. I mean, he just threw for 115 strikes his last fight. It's going to be, a, like you said, a long night in the office for Song. Uh, Jeff, what do you got on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's been way too long for a win. I uh, God, it's been way too long since a win for fucking Song. I mean, it's literally been, what? 2020 since his last win and Ian Gary's getting nothing but better with each fight I feel I mean I'm not even sure I mean I I, I don't want to put him down but I'm not sure if Song is even a step up from Gabe Green honestly like he's not been looking good his last few I yeah and and uh, and Ian Gary, another thing about him too is uh, I know he doesn't seem like the prototypical champion because he doesn't have he doesn't seem like he has like a competitor's heart because he's such a nice guy. But I think that makes him so much more likable too. Like he's such a likable guy outside of being a great fighter. Max, well, what are you taking? Well, yeah. So first off, just going off that, we heard I think it was from Bilal that Stefan Boy Stefan Wonderboy Thompson is so hard to fight because you can't find a way to hate him, and so maybe Ian Gary has that going for him where it's just hard to put him on a poster and throw darts at it. And what I mean by that is like, just get so fucking mad at him. I think it's easier to fight guys like Colby Covington when you're so pissed at them. Right. Um, so maybe, maybe that's uh, a good thing that Ian Gary's a, such a nice guy. Uh, number two, I just wanted to go backwards a little bit. Um, my prelim pick of the night, by the way, is going to be Samen versus Mana Martinez. Um, and then you guys both pick Samen on that one. Correct. Yes. All right. So, yeah. So just yeah. starting off, we all pick Samen. And then I think we're all going to pick Gary on this one as well, correct? Yeah. I'm yeah. Pretty positive. Yeah, I like uh, that you bring up uh, Stephen Thompson because um, what a fun matchup that would be in the Welterweight division. Yeah. Stephen Thompson, you and Gary, maybe sometime in the future. Well, Striker's delight. <laughs> I would, I would want to see that just for the fight like buildup, just to see two guys being overly nice to each other. And I, I would... Right. It would be very interesting to see that. I've um, yeah, I'm really into that idea too. That's a very good idea. Jeff, what would you think about Wonder Boy and Gary? I know you get uh, mixed feelings about guys being nice before fights. Yeah, I, I I don't know how I feel about that matchup. I mean, I just I feel like it's it's too nice of a matchup. You have no heel in it. You and then <laughs> dude, you don't want Wonder Boy to lose ever. You also don't want Ian Gary to lose a loss. Really dooms kind of both of them because Ian Gary's on this super crazy rise up but fucking lossless streak and then I mean, Steven Wonderboy with another bad loss he's probably done especially by the time he fights Ian Gary yeah I mean the thing is though what if it's just Stephen Wonderboy Thompson passing the reins over as being the nicest guy in the UFC to uh, I don't know. I feel like it would feel like fucking Marley and me, dude. It'd be too <laughs> sad. It'd be like fucking watching a gold retriever die. That's, true. That's very true. Fair enough. All right, let's go to the next Couldn't fight. be more right about that, Jeff. All right, so the next fight we're going to dive into is going to be number 10 ranked Drake's Duplessis taking on number 5 ranked Derek Brunson in the middleweight division. 
obviously Derek Brunson's better years are behind him coming in at 39 years old, taking on the white hot 29 year old Drake Duplessis. Even with that being said, it's still pretty amazing that we get a matchup of two top 10 contenders on a prelim bout, and it's not even the featured prelim, which is pretty crazy to me. Yeah. It truly shows. Yeah. It truly shows that the sales matter. The sales and who puts more asses in seats matters in rankings, whether we want to believe it or not. It is the truth. Well, I guess it's more more stylistically who what puts asses in seats because. Yeah. Cody Garbrandt is a total different fucking... Cody Garbrandt versus Trevin Giles is a whole different fight than what you call it. Yeah. Two plus C's versus fucking Brunson. Right, right. So, Dreykus is coming off a pretty quality win over Darren Till, who was just recently... Uh, I, don't, I don't think he was technically cut. I think he released or requested release from the UFC. Hmm. And Brunson most recently suffered a loss to Cadenier that was now over a year ago. That feels like it was three years ago for me. That feels like it was forever ago now. Jeff, I'm really interested to hear your take on this because I know you have opinions on both these guys. Yeah, I'm honestly all this time I've been thinking, no doubt it's gonna be Drick is stuffing the takedown and picking apart picking apart Brunson. I think absolutely no doubt. But now that I I don't know. I'm starting to hear this little voice telling me that Brunson might fucking, dude, he might edge one out and fucking just wear him down and with the fucking takedowns, keep keep going for him and wear him down and might actually fucking pull it out. But I'm rocking with Drakus. I think he might put a hurting on fucking Brunson after he sent fucking, (laughs) after he sent Darren Till to hell, literally out of the UFC. I don't necessarily disagree with that either, Jeff. Uh, Nick, what are you taking on this? You know, I mean, Jarrett Brunson is a real gatekeeper in the middleweight division, I feel like. I mean, basically, if you want a shot at the title or breaking the top five in the middleweight division, you got to get past Jarrett Brunson. (laughs) And good luck, you know. I mean, he's put the brakes on prospects like Edmund Shabazian, Darren Till, like you guys said, beat Kevin Holland. Um, he has a uh, he's a high fight IQ. Uh, yeah. You know he has great cardio, and as a veteran in the UFC, he's honestly seen it all. You know he he is, however, coming off a pretty brutal KO loss from Jared Cannonier from about a year ago, which was his first loss in a while. And now, like you guys said, I mean, at 39 years old, I'm interested to see what he looks like on Saturday. Um, I mean, Drykus is definitely a fighter that a lot of people have their eye on, you know. He's an exciting fighter who definitely fights the finish. Um, I think actually like 17 of his 18 wins have come by finish. And Dreykus was actually also on that UFC 276 in Vegas when uh, the card that I got to see in person when he fought Brad Tavares. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys might remember that fight, but it was definitely a war. And Dreykus's cardio looked suspect. I mean, he went out there, guns a-blazing. He put the pressure on at middleweight. That's tough to do. You know, you got to kind of try and find your pace there. But with that being said, I do think that he looked much improved in his last win over Darren Till. Um, That was just back in December, where I honestly thought Darren Till looked pretty good until the third round when Dreykus subbed him. Um, So, yeah, I mean, odds on that fight, Dreykus around minus 230, I think, and Brunson's about plus 190, over-under set at 1.5. I'd probably I'd probably just take the over. 
because um, I think both guys are at least durable enough to last at least seven and a half minutes. Yeah, because even when Dreykus gasses in round two, it's not like he gets knocked out in round two. His cardio is suspect, but it's not like his jaw just drops either. Max, what do you think yeah, on this one? That. So I'm happy that Nick mentioned the gassing out against Brad Tavares because what did he do against Darren Till? He gassed the fuck out too, and he almost brought Darren Till back <laughs> into it. And that's the thing that's going to worry me. It's going to be one of two things that that is what beats uh, Dreykus Duplessis. It's going to be um, Brunson outsmarting him or Dreykus Duplessis gassing the fuck out or a combination of the both of them. That being said, I feel more comfortable taking Dreykus here. I think it's one of those classic situations where it's a fighter kind of on the decline as a fighter's on the incline. And that's real that middle point where they hit is usually pretty tough. Oh, and it boy. usually ends up being Are we doing fighter. it again? What? <laughs> this is what we did for Arnold Allen last week. We just listed out all the ways for Dreykus to lose for Derek Brunson to win. And then we we're like, okay, we're going to take Dreykus. I'm yeah. not taking Dreykus. I'm not going to yeah. do it. Fair enough. All right. All right. As long as all of us don't take and, and you're talking about Brendan Allen and Muniz. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 110%. That's true. I mean, I yeah, that is very true. You're definitely right about that, and it's a good point. I mean, Dreykus, I, I'm really – I really do like him. I love what's going on out of South Africa right now, but I am a little hesitant with Derek Brunson. But that being said, I mean, we haven't seen Derek Brunson fight in a year, and he's older, so – it feels more logical to take uh, Duplessis here for me. Yeah, maybe maybe the anomaly of the blonde-haired Brunson will continue. Who knows? I mean, we won't know till Saturday, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean a little bit uh, Brunson as well. I'm gonna lean the underdog. All right. So next fight we're gonna jump Ooh. into is Cody Garbrandt making his return against Trevin Jones. Garbrandt, man, he's one of them guys. Like, where do you even start? One of the quickest fall from graces we've probably ever seen. Oh. It feels as though uh, Alpha Male and Uriah Faber just molded him to beat Cruz, and then that was about it. <laughs> he kind of yeah. got left in the dirt after that. I mean, let's not forget, in 2016, he stopped the world when he beat Dominic Cruz, who was on a 12-fight win streak at the time. Garbrandt, as we all know, he takes two straight losses to Dillashaw following that for his belt. Dillashaw gets popped, and I don't know if that destroyed Cody's head, but he just has not been the same since then. I mean, yeah. he's just, he's never looked the same. But all of that being said, he still is only 31 years old, which, crazy enough, makes him still younger than Trevin Jones. Cody should, on paper, be far away to favorite, but this is a very hard fight to read. Nick, what do you think on this one? Mike, you are spot on. Um, this might even sound redundant. Your talking points are very much so in line with mine. Um, I mean, man, Cody Garbrandt, right? Just like you said. I can't think of many fighters off the top of my head who have had more of a roller coaster ride in the UFC than Cody Garbrandt. Yeah. Um, I mean, back when, just like you said, you know, back when he was on his title run in 2016, he really looked untouchable. And when he beat Dominic Cruz for the Bantamweight title and just the fashion he did it in, no one makes Dominic Cruz look like Cody did in that fight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about Cody Garbrandt, though, is that. He's an extremely emotional fighter, right? And that was definitely the case when he lost the title to TJ Dillashaw, and even more so when he lost the rematch. And honestly, just like you said, Mike, he just hasn't been the same since. Um, He's lost his last five out of six fights, including his last fight when he decided to drop down the flyweight and just got scorched by Kai Kara France in the first round. 
And at this point, I think it's just really hard to know what to expect out of Cody. Um, I do think that he is a better overall fighter than Trevin Jones. I think he has better wrestling, better striking, and definitely way more experience. And honestly, I agree with the odds on this fight, with Cody being around minus 175, minus 200. But this is going to be a fight I just don't feel comfortable putting money on. Um, too many unknowns for me here. Yeah, I, if you put money on this fight, you just like giving money away. Max, what do you think about that? Dude, this is so hard because, I mean, just looking at it, Trevin Jones on a three-fight loss streak, Cody Garbrandt's on a two-fight loss streak. But to me, Cody Garbrandt's chin has just completely eroded. Um, He's on – I mean, he's getting knocked out a lot. And I didn't – you know, earlier in his career, as we mentioned, like we would not have expected that. But he got TKO'd by Kai Car France. And then he got KO, or sorry, he got TKO'd by Pedro Munoz. And then he got knocked out twice in a row by Dillashaw. Um, I mean, and they lost uh, via decision against Rob Font. He's starting to fall apart a little bit here. He dropped down in weight, as you mentioned, to fight Kai Car France and still get knocked, still got knocked out. Um, I'm leaning Trevin Jones here just because, honestly, it's only because he gets knocked out, or he doesn't get knocked out. He only loses via decision or submission and i don't think cody garbrandt's gonna bring any submission game obviously and like nick said he's a completely emotional fighter um i think he's gonna go out there try to get some fireworks uh try to you know bring the crowd to its feet and he's gonna get knocked out so um or at the very least via lose via decision but i'm taking trevin jones here though i don't feel comfortable about any pick with this fight because both these guys are on a tough streak right now yeah yeah you putting money on it would be insane jefferson who you taking yeah i I think I like Cody No Love in this spot. I mean, I think this spot's kind of made for him, even though, I mean, he, last time in the feature prelim, I'm pretty sure that was, was 276 was when he got knocked out, right? Or, um, I can, 269, 269, I think it was. Yeah. When he got knocked out real bad, but I'm pretty sure that was a feature prelim too. Yeah, 269. Yep. But what you call it? Yeah, so I I don't know if he's really made for this spot too. So I'm kind of worried. But this is like his fight. Him and Trevin, they're definitely going to stay on the feet, and they're definitely going to swing and bang. But I I just I think I like Cody in this one. I just I gotta give him one. Yeah, it seems I, as though you just want to say he's a little better, <laughs> so yeah. just like everyone's yeah. thinking. He yeah. is a little better, but I think inevitably you're going to be sitting on the edge of your couch thinking, holy fuck, holy fuck, because Trevor Jones yeah. throws hard, too. Yeah, That's going to be kind of the scary yeah. part. But, yeah, also, the only thing I do feel comfortable with is I don't think this is going to go distance at all. No shot. I mean, if you think Trevin's going to take it to I, – I just – I don't think Cody can make it to a decision. No, no, I don't he's got think the glass... at this stage in his career he's making it to a decision. Yeah, he's got the late career glass jaw syndrome, which is crazy saying because he's only 31, but some fighters just get that after a while. I don't know what it is. Mike, what's your pick in this one? I'm going to lean Garbrandt, too. All right. And then we'll, uh, we'll open up this main card. So to open the main card, we have one of the most highly anticipated UFC debuts. I would possibly say with after reading with the lines closing at probably of all time. We have Bo Nickel taking on Jamie Pickett. I mean, what a fucking stage to make your UFC debut on. 
probably going to be the biggest card of 2023. I would think would be close to a million pay-per-view sales. I mean, you're opening a fucking card with John Jones making this headliner. What more could you ask for? His return but, as headliner? Not right, only a, his headliner. Yeah, in a different weight division. Yeah. And everyone knows Bo Nichols' story. He's a world champion wrestler, a collegiate champion wrestler. And throughout his amateur and slight pro career, he has shown excellence in other aspects of martial arts still. He's got a couple of striking finishes. Jamie Pickett, he's been around the block in the UFC, but he really, to me, hasn't been all that impressive. I think the line is a little crazy, almost closing at minus 2,000, but it's a little indicative of how this fight's going to go. Jeff, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, this is this is almost like a boxing fight at this point. It's like, I mean, I don't want to shit on Jamie Pickett, but this is just a stepping stone for Bo. This is just a pedestal for Bo. And to start off in a main card is fucking phenomenal. I mean, because if he gets a win here, it's only up from here. And it's literally going to be like two fights he's he's headlining. Literally, if he gets wins. Especially quick wins like he's been doing and like he's set up to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Nick, what do you think about this one? You know, honestly, I will keep this one pretty simple. Um, Bo Nickel's going to win. But how do you get the most value out of a guy who has, like you said, a minus 2,000 money line? Uh, Play the prop. Mm. I mean, I don't expect Bo Nickel to play the standing game very long at all with Jamie Pickett. And I was honestly surprised to see his sub prop with decent value still at around minus 165. So that's my play here. And if you really want to get fancy with it, do the sub prop in round one, which I think is near even money right now. That is insane. How on earth could the line close at minus 2,000 and the sub prop be minus 160? And I was curious too, does anyone know, is this the biggest favorite like money line wise for a UFC debut ever it's gotta be right it's definitely up there yeah, I mean, minus yeah, 2000 so. for your debut it was minus one of the biggest favorites I've ever seen me That's too true. uh it's minus 1100 now or it was minus 1100 like yesterday when I was checking yeah me too uh, yeah it's fucking two fit 2500 on FanDuel right yeah now. I think I took it at minus 1100 yeah, it all depends on your book. But, yeah, I think a lot of them are closing anywhere between, like, 1,800 to 2,200, which is yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. Max, which way are you leaning? Yeah, I mean, this one, I, I can't find – obviously, we do our research. We look through. We t- we uh, we read, you know, different articles. We watch different videos. We watch fight tape to prepare for this podcast. And um, I could not find a single article, video, anything – with anyone else saying anything other than Jamie Pickett is a stepping stone for Bo Nickel right now. Um, And I think it feels bad. It feels like a bad word, stepping stone. But uh, Mike, remember when we were talking to Adam Fugit and he said that he knew he was like being treated as a stepping stone and he, he decided to come in there. Like they wanted the UFC for all intents and purposes, wanted to push Kino Shita uh, who Adam Fugit beat a couple weeks ago. Uh, he wanted. They wanted to push him because he had some. He just had some juice. He was coming out of Japan. They wanted con- to connect to the Asian audience. And <clears throat> Adam Fugit came and ruined that party. Um, 
So I think UFC fighters are aware of what this is, but Bo Nickel is a whole different animal. Um, and I don't think Jamie Pickett is good enough to ruin this party here. I'm taking Bo Nickel for sure. Yeah, I think that was an easy round out sweep of that pick for all of us picking Bo Nickel. So let's yeah. jump into this next lightweight bout. We have number 10, Jalen Turner, taking on number seven, Mateusz Gamrot. While this is a far superior fight rank and style-wise to watching Turner, most likely what I thought at least beat the hell out of old hangman hooker, I really, really hate that this matchup had to happen. I hold these two guys in such high regard. They're two of my favorite fighters. I just love watching both of them. I love both of their personalities. They put on such good performances. And Turner, I'd have to imagine, was licking his chops at the opportunity. I'd have to imagine a lot of the young guys in their prime lick their chops when they see an older guy like Hangman who's still willing to fight because they knock off a big name and they could do it in like a, a fashionable sense, you could say. Yeah. But I would have to imagine his his whole thoughts on this matchup change after he saw Mateus Gamrot. What a motherfucker. Like, everyone keeps bringing up how Gamrot's coming in on short notice. Jalen Turner pretty much is, too. Like, he's got a plan for Gamrot yeah. in a month. What a motherfucker they're playing for. I don't know if I'd say Gamrot's the best grappler in the UFC, but he's got to be top five. Like, A-tier. I mean, yeah, easily A-tier. He has the ideal style of a UFC champ. He's taking on a very lengthy lengthy, dangerous striker in Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner has shown a lot of ability to use his length as advantage while striking. He also has a few submission wins under his belt. I'm leaning Gamrot because I feel pretty confident this this fight will hit the mat at some point. I mean, Gamrot's relentless with his single-leg takedowns, and I, I, I'd i have to imagine he lands one at some point. And Jalen Turner, another thing that stuck out to him for me was when his the last time his takedown defense was truly tested was Matt Favola. And that was almost four years ago. And I think Frivola had somewhere in the range of like five takedowns. And Matt Frivola, good fighter, but he's not nearly as skilled as Mateus Gamrot. I think Mateus Gamrot's relentless motor will propel him to some kind of sub win at some point. Max? So, okay, I agree with what you're saying. I really do. But if you look at uh, Mateus's like, history, he's got one, two, three, four four submission five five submissions in his entire career um just to reiterate he's 21 and 2 obviously as a polish person ourselves we're all polish here um actually i don't know if nick's polish but the three of us are <laughs> polish and we we never bet against poles but um i'm really worried because one jalen turner is one of the most unorthodox fighters that we have in the ufc in terms of how weird he is and just the way that he fights, everything looks very different with him. Um, and number two, even if Mateusz does take down Jalen Turner, what is he? He doesn't necessarily, he's not extremely active on the ground in terms of looking for submissions all the time and actually getting them. So I am a little worried about him here. Um, obviously, Jalen Turner is a great fighter. So to me, this is like, Obviously, I I don't know what the odds are at right now. I would I would think it's probably close to a pick 'em. I'm not sure though, off the top of my head. I I'll never pick against polls, so I'm taking Mateusz, but I don't feel good about it. Fair pick, Nick. Who are you taking on this one? You know, um, I don't want either guy to lose. <laughs> I like yeah, Bulls yeah. guy. Me either. Um, I mean, honestly, you guys touched on it. I think perfectly. Just like you said, you know, Matus, he's not. He's not the highest level grappler in, in the UFC, right? But I do think he's far superior in grappling um, over Jalen Turner. 
But, I mean, looking at the size difference in these guys uh, on paper, I mean, Jalen Turner, he's six foot three, and uh, Gamrot standing at 5'10. Uh, Turner's got a seven inch reach advantage, big time leg reach advantage. I mean, there that's a pretty big discrepancy there. Mm-hmm. Looking at the odds, just, just to give you guys a heads up, the odds, Jalen Turner, he's plus 175 underdog, which that's pretty good value there, man. Yeah. I mean, Turner's a finisher, you know, I, and I think, um, Max, you brought up a really good point about Gamrot. You know, if, if he does decide to wrestle or grapple, just like you said, he doesn't go for the finish very much, you know, and yeah. you better believe I think Turner, he'll be down there trying to throw up some subs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's it's definitely so. good value. I would I would honestly, although, like, in my personal life, I would probably bet a little bit on Jalen Turner and not tell anyone about it just because – that those are that's very good um value on him. I mean, like like you said, he can he can finish Gamera. That's definitely there's no question about that. He's the one that's looking for the finish here. And if this fight was to have a finish, I would see it being Jalen Turner here. Jefferson. Yeah, like Max said, I'm fucking I'm scared for the boy, but I can't go on uh, go against the fucking Pollock, dude. Give me fucking Gamera. I mean, I think I think this might be a little too much too soon for Jalen Turner. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Jalen. I fucking I love the tarantula, but I I I mean, I thought he was biting off a lot with Hangman, honestly. And to get Gamrot, I feel like that's just a step up with a heart with a harder fucking style to match up with, and fucking you get less time to match up for it i i just feel like all the odds are against them but i mean i wouldn't be surprised like y'all said if Jalen gets the finish here yeah and, and another thing too Jalen turner is a superior striker like no doubt about yeah, it yeah but i think we've realized after fucking losing so many picks on this podcast between us three that the short that the short notice striker versus the wrestler almost always favors the wrestler. I know it's favorite on the line, but I mean in the results as well. Yeah. Like, it really has fared against us, and we picked the striker, but it could change. Jalen Turner's a motherfucker, so it definitely could change. It's almost as bad as our UFC debut picks. We always fade the UFC debuts. And it never, yeah, and get never. crushed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Max, let's dive into this next welterweight because I know you're really excited for Boys, this one. I've been so fucking excited to talk to you guys about Shavkat Rachmanov. As, oh, I knew it. As many of you guys know, if you've been a longtime listener of the Uppercut podcast, you guys know that Shavkat Rachmanov is my all-time favorite fighter. Well, maybe not all-time. My favorite fighter right now. Um, he's I love this man. He's good <laughs> everywhere. He's perfect everywhere, in fact. And to me, I there are very few fighters that remind me of Shavkat. Um, I just love everything about him. And there's a dream fight that I will never get anymore or we will never get because Hamzat moved up. But the dream fight for me was Hamzat versus Shavkat. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Um, just the versatility on on Shavkat's striking, his creativity, the strikes that he can throw both kicking and with his hands and punches and knees and elbows. The guy just knows how to hurt you professionally. He can also take you down on the ground, submit you, any number of submissions he doesn't ever look shook or scared he has the gas tank of like he has one of the best gas tanks and he's just from an area that it looks like all they do is train so 
he's a humble guy. He's basically Hamza, but a little bit skinnier and more humble. And I, um, I fucking love this guy as a prospect. Um, I just want to talk about Jeff Neal real quick. Obviously, I don't know if you guys remember this, but if you listen to the Stephen Ocho Peterson interview, Jeff Neal called him in the middle of that interview, which was pretty cool. Um, Jeff hands of steel Neal. He has that name for a reason. This guy does have hands of steel. Um, he has great fucking hands. Like, I mean, that's really about it. I went back and I watched his last four fights today and not a lot of grappling in this one with Jeff Neal, like in terms of his last couple of fights, he doesn't really, he has good takedown defense. So someone kind of tries to shoot at him. He can kind of take him down. I don't know if he's faced a monster like Shavkat yet. And I think people are going to say like, well, he's faced bigger names. Shavkat's a monster that not a lot of people have understood that is a monster yet, I think. And, um, I don't know. I was watching like, I guess the biggest fighter like who's comparable to Shavkat that Jeff Neal has fought recently is Neil Magny. And that's just in terms of size, what I'm talking about. Um, Shavkat's 6'1", 170. Neil Magny is 6'3", 171. So they're relatively like the same, similar sizes. And obviously Neil Magny got that win. Neil Magny isn't known for having like the heaviest hands and the most creative striking. He's kind of more known for just taking a fight at all times and also being really good on the ground. So Shavkat combines the really good ground game of like Neil Magny, maybe even better ground game alongside this like very versatile um, and just supremely accurate and strong striking. I just think Shavkat has more ways to get this done. I am afraid. I think he's going to be touch and feel and probably look to take this to the ground because uh, Jeff Neal does have the ability to put someone out. Uh, we saw it with Vicente Luque, but Jeff uh, Shavkat, for the win here for me. Couldn't agree more with you, Max. Jeff, who you taking? Yeah, I mean, it's fucking blatantly obvious. It's it's Shavkat all the way. I mean, Max, I don't, I don't think we're out of the realm of possibility for that Hamza fight either. I mean, you never know. If... Dude, his frame has the ability to add more weight. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, and also, you never know what Hamza's doing. He's a fucking, he's a fucking lunatic, so That's who knows? Fair. My other, like, my second favorite fighter. But, yeah, I I mean, this Shavkat is, I mean, Jeff Neal's just, he's tough, but he he doesn't have the takedown defense, I think, great enough to yeah. stop a Shavkat rock man off. I mean, this guy's just a whole different animal. He, it's safe to say that this dude started off like a contender yeah like he's that fucking good and he's just he's already top of the line top level fighter and it's only up from here to see he also um finishes every fight except for one and it's just says win so i went through and i tried to i went through i went to the kazakh website where that fight was located and i tried to like i looked through the card and the promotion and could not figure out if that win was a stoppage. So it's up in the air, but it could be that he has every single one of his, I believe, 16 wins. Let me check real quick. I'm um, pretty sure they're all accounted for as finishes. I think yeah. he's 100% finish rate. Yeah, so he has 100% finish rate, which is insane. And yeah. um, also, the other thing I've noticed from watching all of Jeff Neal's fights, I watched all of Shavkot's like, last weekend. I watched all of Jeff Neal's today, um, or four, last four or five of Jeff Neal's. And... Um, he doesn't check leg kicks. I just noticed that he t- just eats them. He doesn't really check them, and yeah. that's, you can't do that with Shavkat. Nick, is there any betting action on this fight? Are the lines too wide? 
You know, um, well, real quick, I want to share a fun fact with you guys. Shavkat Rachmano, as you guys know, I'm I'm pretty heavy into UFC sports cards. Yeah. Um, Shavkat Rachmano's sports cards are probably the most valuable UFC sports cards. Oh, really? In the sports card community, yeah, in the UFC sports card community. Wow. If you get a Shavkat Rachmano card, you're pretty much. What's it like? His rated rookies. <laughs> Yeah, That's pretty much anything. I mean, anything Shavkat, man. If you got a Shavkat card, you're doing pretty good. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's a that's a cool ass uh, fact. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, I but mean, no, I mean, honestly, um, I, I put a couple notes down here. I, I honestly love this matchup. Uh, I mean, Shavkat has slowly but surely been rising in the ranks, coming off a nice round two submission over, you know, UFC veteran Neil Magny. And I think he has a solid test in front of him in Jeff Neal, who is honestly as tough as they come. You know, Neal is coming off a really nice win over Vicente Luque from last August, where he finished him in the third round. And he's beat a lot of great fighters in the welterweight division. Um, A lot of people forget about his win over Bilal Muhammad, who is now a current title contender, or I think the only person ever to knock out Mike Mike Perry Cold. (laughs) Um, important important to know too about what you just said he's the only person to finish luke with a knockout too oh yeah there you go see yeah i mean yeah exactly i mean the thing about this fight and i think what is going to factor in the most is both the stylistic matchup and the size difference here um i mean you can put jeff neal in there with the best strikers in the division and i think he's going to give you a pretty good chance at winning shot however is just a beast of a man really good grappler um, I think if and when Shavkat brings this fight to the mat, we're probably going to see a significant skill difference there. And that's probably where I think he's going to win it. I, I agree with you, Nick. And I think there's maybe a 35 to 40, uh, I'll say 30% chance that this this could be kind of reminiscent of Hamzat and Burns. I think we could see Jeff Neal put up a tough fight and shock the world a little bit, still taking a loss, but... I think the more likely scenario is, like you said, it hits the mat and Shavkat wins because that's what we've seen him do. Another important thing I wanted to note real quick is Shavkat, too. While he doesn't have the biggest frame, he's a big motherfucker for the division, dude. 77-inch reach, one welterweight. He's a big goddamn bastard. Yeah, that's what I mean when I'm saying like he has more uh, frame to put weight on. Like We could easily see him go up. I think that's why he holds so much power in his hands. Right. Yep. Definitely agree with that. So let's jump into this co-main event. We have Valentina Shevchenko taking on Alexa Grasso for the Women's Lightweight Championship belt. I'm going to be very blunt in my delivery about this fight and what I think about it. I think the only reason this fight's happening is because the UFC does not like to rerun fights where the challenger doesn't beat the champion no matter what kind of – no matter what performance they put on, it seems like they don't like to rerun it immediately. This should have been Talia Santos in this fight, but unfortunately it's not. And I think the Aaron Blanchfield timeline just didn't make any sense at all. So I guess they had to default to the winner of Grasso and Arujo. I don't think Grasso is well-rounded enough to be even be in this position and fight Valentina. She's resilient enough, I think, to make little spurts of this fight look interesting. But I don't think she's skilled enough to outlast Valentina at all. Nick, what's your take on this one? Yeah. Um, first of two title fights, right? What a massive card this is. Two mm-hmm. title fights, I love it. Um, I mean, Alexa Grasso gets her chance at gold, right? Uh, I'll be honest. Alexa Grasso has looked damn good in her last two fights. Damn good. I mean, she put on a clinic in her last win over Vivian Arizal, and it made it look easy. 
And Arizona ain't no walk in the park, you know? She had an impressive first-round sub over Joanne Wood before that showing that she isn't just a boxer. And I'm a fan of Grasso. I really am. Unfortunately, she's fighting a woman who's nicknamed the Bullet. <laughs> and for right. good reason. Um, something I heard a while back that I will share here, and shout out to Gail Lippin and Trey Van Buskirk, who once said that there is no understandable reason for any woman's MMA fighter to have a money line anywhere north of minus 400 unless they are named Amanda Nunez or Valentina Shevchenko. And I couldn't, couldn't agree, agree more. more. I think what really separates Shevchenko from the rest of the competition is her fight IQ. She is so incredibly well-rounded, and she does an amazing job using it to her advantage. If she thinks she's having a hard time winning the fight on the feet, she will happily start to wrestle. If she thinks she's at a disadvantage on the mat, then she'll keep the fight standing, and it's as simple as that. Grasso's strength is definitely her stand-up. Can she hold her own with Val in the stand-up game? Honestly, I don't know. But I do know if Val feels any sort of danger on the feet, she will have no problem bringing the fight to the mat where I think she will have the advantage. And with this being a five-round fight, she's going to have 25 minutes to figure out the easiest path to victory, which she's really good at doing. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that real quick. I, I think Valentina, by decision, was the most practical play you could have made in this fight, to me at least. And I, I agree with you completely. I think Grasso is a very tough competitor. She's very resilient, just not ready for this test yet. Jeff? Yeah. yeah. I I mean, obviously, I'm rocking out with Valentina. I, I mean, she's making her case to be the women's GOAT. Obviously, she, no matter what, she'll always have the two, two Nunes losses, but the decisions were close. They were close. So, you know. But Valentina's just so fucking good, and I want to say I want to take Valentina by decision, but I can't get <laughs> I can't get the visions of her fucking <laughs> crucifixing Lauren Murphy and absolutely <laughs> brutalizing her face. So yeah, I just want to take Valentina straight up in this. Give me Valentina, Maximus. Did you guys see that quote today from uh, Valentina about? Um, well, it was actually so. Um, what's her face? Uh, Alexa Grasso came out and said, like, she knows Valentina's weaknesses. She's going to exploit them. And then Valentina, Valentina had like a hard ass quote where she was like, yeah, you know my weaknesses, but I also know yours. and I'm going to exploit your weaknesses as well. Valentina has a lot smaller margin for error than um, what Grasso has. And I think Valentina is going to be able to sort of expose that like those low points in uh, Grasso's game here. Yeah, she's literally like a fucking MMA fighting machine. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, totally. yeah, I just, I'm, I'm taking Valentina here. I would be shocked. It would sort of be like when Juliana Pena ver beat um, Nunez there, where I just did not see that happening at all. And uh, it didn't seem like Nunez also was trying, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. I see Valentina getting the win here. Yeah, and I just wanted to note real quick that the flyweight division, even when Va I think Valentina's time's coming to an end, it's just not going to be this Saturday. Aaron but the Blanchfield, top, boys. yeah, the top three contenders are really exciting, dude. Blanchfield, Tyler Santos, and Manon Furo. It's not like this division's in bad hands when she retires at all. No, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was just the timelines that got it all fucked up. Like if 
if it was different, I think it would be Blanchfield maybe in the spot or Talia. I guess it would probably be Blanchfield, Talia, and then I don't know. It's it's just like I said, the time zone got it all fucked up. Right. But then you have Macy Barber, Cortez, and Miranda Maverick, who all leave a little to be desired, but could potentially be contenders within the next couple of years. I think this this division's in really good hands, and it really needs a change up. Yes, let's go to the main event now, boys. I'm excited for this one. All right. Well, we're going to have the highly anticipated main event after a three-year layoff, the return of John's Bone Jones. It is his debut at heavyweight. He's taking on the number one heavyweight contender in the world, Cyril Gaon, for the vacant heavyweight title. John Jones is widely regarded as a clear light heavyweight goat and by many the greatest fighter in UFC history. John Jones is one of the most volatile careers, I would say, of any athlete I can remember throughout my lifetime, at least. He's up there with, I mean, he's not as bad. I don't know if he's as bad as a guy, but he's up there with Vic and Ray Rice. Like, he's just <laughs> as volatile as them, too. He's truly had some of the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. He still holds the record for the youngest UFC fighter to win a championship belt at 23. He holds the record for the most title defenses with 13. But following a three-year layoff and two previous underwhelming performances before the layoffs, I don't feel super confident riding him in this fight. As you guys probably know from before, I know Jeff and Max know at least, I'm a huge Gan fan. I love his footwork and looseness for his size. He just puts it on guys and he really... At least with Tui Vasa, he kind of this he left me in all, dude. He's just so goddamn quick and good for a heavyweight. He really put a beat down. I think me and Jeff watched this one together. He really put a beat down Derek Lewis when he won the interim belt. Left me in all once again. Did Jeff- I just I No, Jeff unfortunately didn't cry. I would have loved to Actually, that. no, Mike, I did not watch this one with you, and I think I did fucking cry. I damn near <laughs> did. I lost like fucking $300, dude. I put so much on Derek Lewis that night. I was so excited. Dude, he's this, staunch This was when Lewis. I was down in Ocean City living in oh, a yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. hotel for a little bit. And yep. dude, oh my god, that was the one thing I had to look forward to. All my friends came down <laughs> to watch Derek Lewis, and he got fucking battered. <laughs> dude, he staunched him. It was like an embarrassing loss. I mean, I, just me, I'm siding with the guy who's younger, surging, and really putting it together. I think John Jones has the potential to look human in this fight. I think me and Max are going to side on this one and then Nick and Jeff, but Nick, let's hear what you have to say first before I make that assumption. Yeah, I think uh, you're right, man. Um, Honestly, I actually, this was uh, the free play that I posted on my Instagram page for this week. And um, if you don't mind, I'll just read kind of what I put on the Instagram there. Yep. Um, Yeah, I mean, I said, I mean, where do I even start with John Jones, right? Should it be that he still holds the record for the youngest UFC champion ever at just 23 years old? Or the fact that now, 12 years, 13 wins, no losses, and 11 title defenses later, he's deciding to move up a weight class and capture the title of baddest man on the planet. There aren't many people in the world who make fighting in the UFC look easy, but John Jones is one of them. When you talk about John Jones, there's one word that often comes to mind for a lot of people, and that's go. I would be hard-pressed to pick against a man like John Jones, let alone the actual person himself. A few questions come to mind for me in his return to the Octagon. Um, will the layoff be a factor? Will fighting at heavyweight play a role? Will his age at 35 years old now be a disadvantage? Honestly, I'm going to say yes to all of that, but then follow it up by saying, it's fucking John Jones we're talking about here. Um, I mean, kudos to you if you caught his opening line at plus money. I still feel comfortable playing his line today at, I think it's minus 165. 
And that's going to be my play here. At the end of the day, I'm looking forward to witnessing history once again by someone who has done it so many times before already. Yeah, I, I love the analysis. I'm still taking Cyril, but the analysis almost had me change my pick. Beautiful. Jefferson, are you taking Boones? Yeah, I mean, I'm no fucking stooge. It's the fucking goat we're talking about. And, I mean, we're looking at it. Hammy Sosa's lock of the night. I mean. Oh, no. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Give me the two goats, Valentina and John Jones. Lock them up. You're doing a, a double lock? Oh, my double God. Dude, uh, the, the first lock parlay on the Upper Cup podcast and the free pick by picker for Jones. Max, did I rub the genie ball right? Are you taking zero gone? You missed it, dude. I'm taking John Jones here. Damn. I, and, the only, and the only reason is because when I close my eyes and I think about this fight, I picture Francis Ngannou taking down Cyril Gone and and being just being, uh, what's it called? I don't know. Just being on the ground with Cyril Gone and man, yeah, manhandling uh Cyril Gone a little bit, and that just rubs me the wrong way. I know you know, you know how much I am torn on John Jones because. As you guys know, I came into the sport late. I was not in here for the peak of John Jones. I remember watching ESPN um, and seeing him come on, and I thought he was a rapper, but I'm pretty sure there is a rapper named John Jones. I think I got the two guys mixed up. Um, Jim Jones. Jim Jones. All right, so not even close. That just shows my whiteness. Um, the thing is, I, I, I only knew John Jones from the headlines, and if you only know John Jones from the headlines, you know he's a pretty shitty guy, just judging by the headlines. I've never fucking talked to him. Um, and because of that, I've always had a weird thing about rooting for him. I think deep down, I would love to see him, you know, kind of not be just like be punished for doing this. It sucks that he's able to go out, do a bunch of coke, bang a bunch of hookers and hit his kids and family and or not maybe not hit his kids, hit his hit his girl in front of his kids and then go win. Damn. I'm just saying it's, it's a little it's tough you, you to go do that and then win. Right. And then it's like, well, it's kind of hard to root for someone like that. And I'm not rooting for him, but I do think um, just that picture of Vingano taking down Cyril is stuck in my head. And I just, I see that happening. And I, I think it's Jones by submission or decision, but I do think it's Sean Jones here. Well, he's one of those guys who undoubtedly his skill has preceded his downfallings. Like, yeah, his, his downfalls throughout his personal life, I think people like to forget because he's such a goddamn good fighter, which I don't blame yeah. him. And also, real quick, before you go, Nick, um, I mean, like, Ariel Helwani, I don't know if anyone listened to, like, the MMA, the Ringer MMA show today, but they talked about, like, this dichotomy of John Jones, where it's like Chuck Mendenhall goes and does a story with him, and John Jones, they're sitting there at this restaurant, and John Jones is going on about how, like, I don't know, just like this righteous conversation about how he, do, he wouldn't take um, Budweiser as a sponsor because he doesn't want to promote drinking and all this shit. And then at the end of the rant, he goes, damn, I'm still high from last night. Like, this guy's such a dichotomy. <laughs> like, it's so hard to like this dude um, and to, to root for him because he he does such shitty things, right? And it's hard it's hard to do that as a sports fan, and it's hard to do that as a fan of anything, right? Like, if you listen to X's music, it's hard to separate the art from the artist. Right? It's the same. Yeah, idea. yep. Nick, what did you have to say? I, I mean, I was just going to touch on that, Max. You make a really good point, um, and, and I, re I thought about that quite a bit. I mean, outside of the octagon, it's really hard to like John Jones. Um, it's almost impossible. I mean, he's yeah. 
done a lot of really bad things. Like but hitting a pregnant time, lady with hitting a pregnant lady's car and then fleeing the scene, or and then running, leaving, oh, fleeing the scene. That, that fighter John Jones's car, <laughs> dude. That's the greatest body cam footage I think I've ever seen. It's tough. I, it is pretty rough, yeah. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, inside the octagon, yeah, you, you have to give him his credit. You know, you have to respect what he's done in there. That's why I'm picking him. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I think his his skill kind of precedes how he is as a person, in my opinion, at least. I think people like to forget about a lot of stuff he's did, which if you're just watching the UFC, you should. Yes, and I mean, like, I'm definitely, in the terms of the UFC as a fighting promotion, these are guys that are going out there to hurt each other. They don't need to be fucking saints, all right? I know we had Joe Selecki on here. He didn't fucking swear. He has, like, a Jesus podcast. He's, like, one of the nicest, <laughs> righteous guys we've ever talked to. Every single fighter we've ever talked to is just like the nicest guy. We like it seems like every single time we interview a fighter that they're nicer than the last guy. And it's it's been a blessing to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, like their profession is to hurt people. And I'm okay if you have people that are like not the greatest in a promotion. Yeah, their profession is literal brain trauma. And I'm not going to be surprised if their brain fucked up a little bit. Right. Exactly. I, I have one more quick question for you guys before we wrap this up, too. I just wanted to know, do you guys think Jones win or loss? This would be more alluding towards a win. Does he have any interaction with DC post-fight? I Is think there any- Oh, my God, the greatest. Yes, I think... I, I think- can't wait. I think DC... Well, so they don't because Joe Rogan is going to be there. He's going to do the post-fight interview. Yeah, um, but so he's going to be like, DC, come on. I mean, yeah. does he throw him like a DX, like, suck it or anything? No, or I think it's going to be cordial. No, I think Jones, they might hug. If yeah, they I, hug, that would be the greatest thing ever. I would lose my mind. I think it's going to be cordial. I think um, they talked about and, this on the Ringer MMA show as well. I think, D, and I agree with them, I think DC is going to be, like, overly nice on the commentary. And then I could see it being, like Jeff said, John Jones being like DC, come on! They go up there and fucking squash the beef, which I like. I know I don't know how much Jeff. And also, I dude, I kind of love it because this is something I was going to ask. Where where does their beef rank all time for sports beef? Sports rivalries beef. It's up there, man. It's got to be up there. I don't know if you guys have seen. I think it's on like the beef history. Greatest rivalries in UFC history. Oh, I think they ranked it like two or three. I want to say. I mean, dude, it's up there. That's one thing I w- I would say. I mean, I feel like their relationship kind of in the lead up to this fight, it's been kind of strange, it in is, my yeah. opinion. Like, all kind of just you know lovey dovey in a sense. And I'm like, what what the hell? What happened to the beef, man? That's one yeah. of the greatest rivalries in UFC history. Yeah, yeah. But I still think the greatest one, in my opinion, I was so enamored with Chuck and Tito's thirty for thirty. It was just unbelievable oh, i don't know man watch the sb nation beef history on fucking i watched one this morning actually it wasn't that so one but... phenomenal i love it wait Dude. guys habib and mcgregor come on now yeah i know but dc and john are just dude i don't know they're both i i i don't put i don't put mcgregor's legacy i mean he's yeah his yeah. legacy but like overall fighting wise pound for pound I don't I don't know if I put him over a DC or John Jones. Well, it, would be Habib, it would be Habib, maybe. Yeah, still Habib, but still that's one goat versus John Jones and Yeah. DC. I just I don't know. I right. feel like they're just a different level. I love right. that you shouted out uh Beef History. That's one of my favorite fucking YouTube. Dude, I watched those too much. Shout out to 
Yeah, it's on. It moved to Secret Base. If you go to Secret Base now on YouTube, check that out. Shout out to them. Um, all right, all right. Let's wrap let's this wrap thing up, up, boys, before we start spiraling. So, yeah. Once again, thanks again, Nick. We're gonna link your Instagram in the bio. Please check it out. He's one of the best MMA handicappers out there. He keeps it completely transparent, and honest with everyone who follows him. He's one of the best out there. We're gonna post this episode. What tomorrow? Tomorrow morning it'll be up. And Nick, uh, before we go, is there anything you want to like promote or plug? No, man. I mean, honestly, thank you guys for having me on here. Um, I mean, you guys already, you know, basically described exactly what I do and what I'm about. I, I'm a fan first. That's what I say all the time. I'm a fan of this sport and I'm a fan of the UFC. And honestly, I can't fucking wait till Saturday. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we're the same way. We're fans as well. We can't fucking wait either. We're so excited. And yeah, thank yep. you so much for coming on. Thank you, Mikey, for hosting. Jeff, for coming on, of course. And we will be back. Um with a review of UFC 285, Jeff, you, or Mike, you have something to say real quick. One more thing. This will be up. I said tomorrow that will be Friday morning. That still leaves you time to join our verdict league for 285. Yes. So, yes, please do that. As I mentioned, all before free app, it'll be in the link tree in the description. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back very soon with a review of UFC 285.